Okay, we'll go ahead and get started. We uh, can turn to First uh, Corinthians 13, and uh, I'll go ahead and read the uh, chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I became gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness and care. Thank you for your love poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. Thank you for this text and the priority of love given in the text. We pray that in our lives, your love would also be a priority uh, for us uh, in our interactions within our families, uh, within uh, the uh, family of our uh, church and congregation, within uh, the uh, places where we work, uh, where we may be going to school, where we may be uh, engaged in, in other uh, matters. We pray that uh, the priority of love uh, may be present in each of our lives. Forgive us where this is not the case. And uh, we're mindful of the fact that uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, uh, begins with love. And uh, so we pray that there would be a real outcropping of love uh, within our uh, own hearts, uh, displayed in all of our interactions, and uh, that this would be an evidence of the presence of your Spirit 
uh, within our lives and uh, within our congregation. So uh, bless us to this end, we pray in uh, the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, just a quick review of uh, where we are. Uh, We've gone through the first paragraph as it's set out in the English Standard Version, uh, which gives us the priority of love over other uh, special gifts uh, that uh, were manifest in the, uh, especially in uh, the, the church during uh, the apostolic age, uh, during the period of the New Testament uh, church. And uh, Paul goes on to describe this love in uh, the second paragraph as it's laid out in the English Standard Version. Love is patient, love is kind, etc. And uh, then in the third paragraph, uh, he engages in uh, an argument in which he says that these special gifts with which he contrasts love in the first paragraph are going to pass away. And they pass away when the perfect comes. And we're arguing, I'm arguing the case that the perfect is Scripture. And so we have this priority of love then that is... Uh, described in Scripture, is defined in Scripture, and is empowered by the Holy Spirit as uh, the Spirit is also uh, described in Scripture. And uh, so as I say in number one, uh, tongues cease as a normative sign of the Spirit. And uh, we see that in verse uh, verse 8, love never ends for prophecies, they will pass away, as for tongues, they will cease uh, as for knowledge, it will pass away. And uh, uh, I'm highlighting tongues here because in chapter 14, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul does. And it's, it's a matter of uh, the proper use of these spiritual gifts as Paul lays them out in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 14. And then an understanding of when uh, these special or, yeah, these special gifts uh, cease as a signs of the Spirit. And uh, as Paul says, prophecy is partial. Uh, we would like prophecy. We'd like words of special words of knowledge and, and uh, special words of prophecy. But Paul reminds us, and we talked about this uh, before, that prophecy is partial. Uh, verse uh, 9 again, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So even the Old Testament prophecies... It didn't give us a full-orbed picture. And uh, the prophets wrestled with what the Spirit of Christ within them uh, was saying, uh, especially about when these things would take place. Uh, I was just asked uh, before class started uh, uh, with regard to the eschatology class, of course, Denny, you're going to tell us uh, when the second coming is going to take place. Are you not? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you could get a lot of people coming to class if you uh, made such an announcement. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, prophecy is partial. And uh, so we need to uh, understand uh, that this is the case. And uh, verse 10 then, but when the perfect comes, the partial 
will pass away. And uh, so the idea here is is uh, the definition of the perfect. And uh, uh, the more standard uh, definition here or uh, understanding of the text is that uh, the perfect relates to when Christ comes a second time in glory and, and all is going to be brought to a time of perfection. Okay. So, so that's actually the more standard interpretation of the text. And uh, I'm taking a minority uh, position. Some of you would say, what's new, Denny? <laughs> uh, I'm taking a minority position that the perfect here uh, relates to the perfect Word of God. And uh, we've entered into uh, this section of the, uh, uh, the text. And uh, last time after class, uh, some questions arose. And uh, as you can see in uh, number two, uh, the basic principle uh, is uh, love is now the normative sign of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And, and one of the uh, comments or questions that I got was uh, the idea of uh, the meaning of normative. Uh, what do I mean by normative? And uh, normative here simply means uh, that love is the standard prescribed now uh, in the Bible for our understanding and seeing the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's the prescribed norm uh, uh, that we use to, uh, as the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. This, this is the idea. So uh, I'm saying uh, with the Apostle Paul, love is uh, the uh, standard we use uh, not special gifts. Love is the standard we use uh, as the evidence for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's love as it's already been described by Paul uh, in uh, the early part of the chapter. See, th this is part of what we have to understand. And uh, it's also love which is uh, defined uh, by Scripture. Uh, so uh, this is the idea. Uh, uh, then I had uh, uh, this question uh, arise, uh, which uh, thankfully I'd already thought about. Uh, coming from a missionary, of course you'd, you'd, you'd gather this would come from a missionary. Uh, well, what do we do uh, with uh, circumstances uh, where uh, people have not yet uh, received the Scriptures, where the Scriptures have not yet been translated into the vernacular, and the people do not have the Scriptures. You're telling us that, that love as uh, set forth and described in the Scriptures is the normative sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit, not uh, these special gifts. And uh, my response uh, would be this, and we're going to talk about this, I'll, I'll get to this here in a moment, that, that tongues do exist. Uh, there's little doubt that this is the case, that tongues do exist, and uh, missionaries may go into uh, certain areas where there may be manifestations uh, like this. God is sovereign. Uh, we're not going to stop Him from doing what He does. <laughs> and uh, uh, my response then would be, okay, 
so uh, there are manifestations like this in uh, areas where uh, people have not yet been reached with the gospel and uh, the scriptures are not present. Uh, what, what are we to do? We're to give them the scriptures and then teach them from the scriptures what is the normative sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, among them and in their lives. You see, that would be the procedure. That, that's what we ought to do. And uh, I, I think we need to take, take that seriously. Uh, so, uh, now we also had uh, uh, this idea of voices. Uh, that I mentioned last week. And I, I want to uh, return to this uh, uh, just uh, for a little bit because I, I think this is important. And uh, I gave you a testimony of the fact that uh, uh, standing in the shower one day in Korea, I heard this, quote, voice that said to me, Denny, you're going to seminary. And uh, one of my seminary professors later said to me, well, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, Mr. Pruto, that uh, if we had a recorder in the shower uh, with you, that uh, nothing would have been recorded <laughs> by that microphone in the shower. And I had to confess, well, I, I think you're probably right, Professor, uh, but I can't deny the experience that, that took place. Okay. Uh, and, and then my response is, uh, is this an evidence of the fact that, that uh, I was born again? Is this an evidence of the fact that uh, I possessed the Holy Spirit? Uh, uh, I would say, perhaps... But the normative standard for our making a judgment as to one uh, having the Holy Spirit is not uh, hearing a particular voice at a particular time or having a special gift. It's love. This is the argument that Paul is presenting. And uh, our, our brother Tom uh, indicated last week that... Uh, uh, he had an occurrence early in his life uh, where he had uh, heard a voice. This was the outcome that, that that you had, that God would be a father to the fatherless. And, and it was a great comfort. Uh, but, but it was striking to me, you see. Now, I, I'm just bearing down on the narrow issue of, of uh, evidences for the presence of the Holy Spirit within uh, the individual's life. Uh, when we t uh, talked after class, uh, uh, th this came before uh, conversion. See? Now, th this is pretty striking. This came before conversion. So now, just on the narrow issue, is the hearing of this voice an evidence of the fact that an individual has the Holy Spirit? See, See? That's, the, that's the specific issue uh, that I'm dealing with, that narrow issue. Uh, I'm going to give you another example of this sort of thing. The uh, Apostle Peter, uh, on the day of Pentecost, goes to uh, the prophecy of Joel and uh, uh, to explain the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
on the day of Pentecost. And one of the things uh, that he says uh, that uh, your, your young men will dream dreams. Okay? Uh, that this was uh, a manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, here's my own story uh, in this regard. Uh, my grandparents lived in uh, Detroit, Michigan, close to what was then called Waterworks Park. Uh, and uh, it, it was uh, the waterworks that pulled water out of the Detroit River to, to give water to the city. And there was a, it's a big park and there were swimming pools there. And uh, I would often go there when I visited my grandparents to swim. And uh, so I knew the park well. Uh, I had a dream uh, uh, that was recurring. I don't know how many times I had this uh, little dream. But I was at Waterworks Park. I was a little boy. I was at Waterworks Park. And a snake or a serpent chased me in the park. And I would run to escape the serpent. And I would climb up a tree. How, you, how a little guy climbs up a tree when there are no branches, you know, this is it's part of the dream. <laughs> I would climb up the tree and I would just barely escape the snatch of the snake or the serpent and then I would wake up in a cold sweat. Okay? And I, I don't know how many times I had this dream. And for me, it was a nightmare, <laughs> you see. Uh, but then, my, my testimony is that uh, after I was converted to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, which is quite a number of years ago now, I never had that dream again. And, uh, of course, uh, you would interpret the dream while the devil's after you. Almost got you, uh, but you were saved. And uh, so that, that's my interpretation of the dream. And I never had the dream again. But my point is, you see, on the narrow issue, on the narrow issue, having a dream like that was not an evidence of the fact that I had the Holy Spirit. It was a, a dream that I had long before I was converted to faith in Jesus Christ and knew anything about the Holy Spirit, you see. And what the Apostle Paul is driving at and driving hard at, it seems to me, is the priority of love within our own lives and within the life of the church. And... Uh, finally, I'll, I'll give you my own testimony here because this, is, this has been brought up by uh, uh, some of you here. Well, I, I have a uh, charismatic uh, background, uh, uh, you say. Well, I do too. Okay. Uh, I was converted to faith in Jesus Christ by uh, an Assemblies of God military chaplain. Okay. He's a very loving uh, fellow. And uh, he dearly wanted me to uh, become a member of the Assemblies of God Church. And I could have become a member of the Assemblies of God Church and qualified to become 
a minister in the Assemblies of God Church. Okay, I had the requisite qualifications. And uh, the, uh, uh, the thing that uh, I came to was, after a study, uh, and, and this occurred over a period of years, uh, uh, the point that I came to is that, yes, tongues do exist, but they are not the principal and normative sign for the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And uh, Paul weighs in against the idea that there are some who uh, do look at it as a principal sign for the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And this this is the... Uh, the thing that uh, the Scriptures are weighing in against here. Uh, Not that uh, tongues don't exist today. They do. But they cease as a normative sign of the presence of the Spirit in the life of believers, as do these other dramatic and... uh, 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 special gifts about which is which Paul is speaking here. Okay, uh, th- this is the idea uh, in uh, the text. And uh, uh, when when we uh, work through the rest of the outline, I'll I'll give you some time to uh, uh, interact with me further on on uh, some of this. Uh, so uh, this gets us down then to. Uh, verse 11. Uh, so uh, let's uh, look at verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. See? Now, now, what's Paul doing here? Uh, Paul is, is giving us a very simple illustration. Uh, regarding special gifts and love. This is simply what he's doing. And he's asking the question, do we want to still remain children, as it were, in the faith, or do we want to become more mature or more grown up And it's these two spheres, if you will, that Paul, it appears to me, is contrasting. And I think we get the idea of this when we think of the Old Testament economy and the New Testament economy. Paul makes a similar contrast between the Old Testament economy with uh, all of its uh, types and symbols, the uh, the Old Testament temple, uh, the sacrifices, uh, the ceremonies, uh, and these kinds of things, and uh, the New Testament, where uh, uh, those 
types and shadows are put away for that which is more substantial. It would be the idea. The types point forward to Christ and the work of Christ. And so now we have Christ and we don't go back to that which involves the types and shadows. And Paul uses the terminology, well, we don't want to remain children, see, as the Israelites were. This was the idea. And to me, that's pretty striking. Uh, so we, we want to uh, grow up, we want to be mature. And uh, folks, we have this struggle uh, going on in uh, the church today. I, I was a little amused uh, uh, because uh, after the service last uh, Lord's Day evening when I, I spoke about the priestly robes in my introduction uh, and uh, uh, we had uh, some visitors here who uh, were... Uh, Catholic, and uh, they said, "Well, we completely disagree with the pastor on this idea of robes." I mean, it, I mean it, that's silly. Uh, and uh, I was using it as an illustration of the fact that we don't bring uh, the Old Testament garb and ceremonies into the New Testament, and this is why. Uh, ministers in our church don't wear robes. I mean, this is one of the reasons, uh, you see. Well, that's silly, you, you see. Well, you have to back up a little bit and get, get a little bit bigger picture of, of what's happening in the Bible. And uh, we have to get back up and, and get a little bit bigger picture as to what's happening uh, in the church in the New Testament era here, see, special gifts were given in the New Testament church, and they were manifestations of the Spirit, and uh, they were evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. But now we've passed from that New Testament era. We've passed out of, say, what we would call the apostolic age. And uh, with the passing away of the apostles, uh, the, the canon has become complete, and we have the complete and perfect Word of God. And the testimony of Scripture is that we have in the bounds of the Bible all that is needed for life and godliness. And that includes the principles needed to discern the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of men and women like us and within the life of the church. That's the idea. And so, uh, because this is the case, I'm arguing then that the perfect that the Apostle Paul is speaking about in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
And so, uh, because uh, biblically, you see, we have this shift uh, from uh, the apostolic era and what took place in the apostolic era uh, to uh, the present day when we have the complete and perfect Word of God, we have to take that into consideration. And we need to move away from what was considered uh, normative signs of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the apostolic age to what are now considered the standard and normative signs of the presence of the Holy Spirit given to us by the complete Word of God, which is sufficient for life and godliness. Okay? Uh, okay, I'm, I'm getting a, a little forceful here. But part of the reason I'm getting forceful here is uh, I want to be tenacious with regard to standing on Scripture. Uh, that's one side of it. And uh, the other side of it is, as I say in the out, outline, uh, we need to take care with regard to depending upon subjective experiences versus the objective standard of the Word of God. And uh, 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 that's one of the difficulties, you see. And uh, we, we talked about the, this earlier. Well, God said to me and told me to do such and such. Okay, uh, I, I want to be careful here. Uh, I, I've had this happen to me by a pastor. Uh, when I asked him some advice, he said to me, uh, well, uh, thus says the Lord, you need to buy this car rather than this car. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, some would say, well, I feel real good about that. And uh, buy the car, and it's a lemon, and it's a clunker. See? This occurs. This happens. And uh, so we, we need to be careful about relying on subjective feelings and uh, this sort of thing and understand the principles and the standards of the Word of God. Now, this is why I, I come back repeatedly uh, to the position that uh, in almost every case in which we have a difficulty and uh, in, in which uh, there may be differences among us, it comes down to uh, our understanding and interpretation of Scripture. And I'm in a discussion with, with someone right now uh, who, who just wrote back to me uh, yesterday and uh, said to me, uh, well, uh, Dr. Prudhoe, I guess we're just going to have to agree to disagree because I don't uh, agree with your understanding of Scripture at this point. Okay. And so, so there we are. See? So... Uh, uh, biblical uh, hermeneutics and biblical understanding of Scripture uh, 
uh, is what we come uh, come back to, and it 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 becomes uh, real important. And Scripture is our standard. Uh, so uh, uh, here we have now uh, Paul's saying. Uh, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And uh, I, I think what Paul is telling us is, I'm moving away from uh, ecstatic utterances being uh, the principal evidence of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers to a solid understanding of what love is as the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. Okay? Uh, I, I think that's the emphasis in the text. And then he says in verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And uh, it, it would be easy for you to come back to me and say, well, there it is, uh, uh, Denny. Your whole interpretation of this text is now sufficiently blown out of the water because it's when Christ comes a second time in glory that we see Him face to face. And uh, I hear the argument. I hear the argument. And uh, it's a strong argument. Uh, so let's analyze what, what Paul is saying. Uh, remember now, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Uh, For now we see in a mirror dimly. And uh, the Corinthians were known for... Uh, their manufacture of mirrors, polished brass. And uh, they, they were quite good at it. They were quite good at it. But uh, as good as uh, you might be in polishing metal to uh, make a mirror... Uh, there, there are going to be some difficulties uh, with that. And uh, maybe they're not quite as exaggerated as when uh, you go into the fun house at, the, at a carnival and, and walk down the line and, and uh, look in the mirrors where everything is purposely distorted and you, you look a lot bigger than you are or a lot uh, skinnier than you are, etc., etc. or your head's really big and you're, or really tiny and, and uh, this sort of thing. Uh, uh, but, but this gives you the idea uh, that there are distortions uh, that uh, come to us in a mirror. And this is, this is true even with modern mirrors. Uh, because uh, when you look in a modern mirror, the image you see in the mirror is really the reverse of... <laughs> What you see, if you look at your, if you would were, were able to actually look at yourself, <laughs> you see. And uh, uh, when you get into your car and uh, go home after church, and uh, look at the rearview mirror, look at the side view mirror, uh, there may be a statement 
on uh, the mirror something like this. Objects may be closer than they appear. In other words, you're not getting a true and accurate image in that mirror. Things have been distorted in some way. And this is, at least in measure, what Paul is getting at as he speaks in verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. And the word that's translated dimly in the English Standard Version is the Greek word from which we get the term enigma. Uh, you look in the mirror and it's an, an enigma. <laughs> or it's a riddle. Uh, th- this is the word that's translated dimly. In other words, you don't get an accurate picture. And so, uh, Paul is making the comparison then uh, between now, when we see in a mirror dimly, and then when we see face to face. Now, uh, later we're going to have to wrestle with what Paul means by now and then. And it's going to be helpful for us to see what Paul actually means by now and then. The the then has to do uh, with when the perfect comes. Uh, And there are some grammatical uh, issues here. Uh, but, But that's for later. Then face to face. I I will maintain and I do maintain that now you see Jesus Christ face to face in the Bible, in the Scriptures. That when you turn to the Gospels, especially you see Jesus Christ face to face. You are confronted with Jesus Christ. If this were not the case, friends, uh, 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 taking this seriously, if this were not the case, how in the world could we be saved? How in the world could we uh, come to Christ not just through an effusive uh, experience, but meeting Him in the pages of the Bible and seeing Him face to face. Uh, with this in mind, please turn to Second uh, Corinthians. Second uh, Corinthians, chapter four, and verses three through six. Uh, Paul says, uh, "And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing." In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now, 
Uh, I submit to you, you have to read this clearly, carefully. Because uh, the Apostle Paul, it seems to me, is saying to you and to me that unbelievers, when they read the Bible and when they read the Gospel, they can see Christ in the Gospel. Uh, they can see the gospel when they read the Bible. Okay. Uh, uh, I say read it carefully because uh, what they cannot see is the glory of Christ. Uh, and the example that the Apostle Paul is using is Moses coming down from the mountain. When people, uh, the people of God saw Moses come down from the mountain and he had a veil over his face, they knew full well it was Moses, but they couldn't see the glory of his face. The glory was veiled. And uh, this is the idea uh, that the Apostle Paul uh, is using. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but uh, Jesus Christ as Lord, uh, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, uh, the language here is a little, uh, a little difficult, uh, but... Uh, you can translate uh, verse 6 this way. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to illumine, to illumine the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To shine light on the knowledge that comes out of Scripture. This is why I would always maintain that you teach your children to memorize Scripture, that you teach your children to learn the catechism. Because when the light of the Holy Spirit comes along and shines in their hearts, the Holy Spirit will have a word and knowledge upon which to shine in their hearts. How important that is. If there's nothing for a shaft of light to shine upon, you don't see anything. The light dissipates into the darkness. This is what happens. 
And it's a beautiful thing, friends, when the light of the Holy Spirit comes along and shines in our hearts and illumines the Word of God. And you've experienced this sort of thing. I know that you have because you've been reading along in your Bibles and all of a sudden you say to yourself, whoa, I never saw that before. I never saw it quite that way before. All of a sudden, light has been shown by the Spirit on the Word of God. And it's come to life for you. What a, uh, an astounding and great thing that actually is, uh, you see. And uh, so, uh, th- this is part of what we're wrestling with. And so, when you go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face... I would submit to you that uh, reading the Bible and uh, that word impinging upon your uh, thinking apparatus and then the Holy Spirit coming along and shedding light on that word makes the whole difference. And you see, when that happens... You see Christ for who He is. You see Christ face to face. This would be the idea. And uh, I'll just carry it a step further. You see, this is why, this is one of the reasons why we believe firmly in the priority of the preaching of the Word of God. What happens when pastor stands up and begins to proclaim the Word of God? And that Word impinges upon your heart. And as Luke says, with regard to Lydia that seller of purple fabrics who was sitting by the riverside and Paul was speaking to her and to others, the Lord opened her heart from heaven to respond to the things spoken by Paul. She saw Jesus Christ for who He was and believed in Him and saw Him face to face. And so, uh, I would maintain, you see, uh, that this is in in perfect keeping with the idea uh, given to us earlier that uh, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When we have the perfect Word of God, It's the perfect Word of God that sets forth the standards for us to understand and identify love properly in our own lives 
and in the congregation. This is a tremendous thing. And so at the end of the outline then, number four, I say, what we come to then is love as described in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, defined in Scripture, 1 John 5, 3, and empowered by the Spirit poured out in your heart, as indicated in Scripture, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, Romans 5, 5, is the prescribed evidence of the Holy Spirit within you. Praise be unto God. Praise be unto God. And, and you see, to me it's just like... Uh, I just uh, take a sigh and say, thank you, Lord, that this is the case. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thanks again for uh, a time together. Thank you for your word. We pray that you'll give us light on uh, the Scriptures so that we might live uh, by this word and uh, that you might cause us by your grace to live by this word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.